Yo, how are we doing? Happy Sunday, hope that we're all well. Hope that we're um, having a nice long bank holiday weekend. Thank you for catching up on the podcast. Thank you for catching up on replay uh, or YouTube, wherever you're catching this. Let me um, let me just take the time out and say thank you for, for joining us. Um, we are here for episode 44. Episode 44 of the Always Better Than Yesterday interview sessions. That's amazing. Just sending a couple of invites out now. Getting some awesome people involved in the conversation. Uh, and then we shall get cracking. So once you're on, let me know that you can hear me loud and clear. Let me know um, you can hear me. Please do give this a share at any point during the live stream where you think it's just got to be heard by somebody else. I know it will need to be heard by at least one person in your network. Make sure you think about them whilst um, whilst this is happening. So here we go. A few, a few invites gone out. Done. Done, done, done. Let me know you're here. Drop me a comment when you arrive. Um, let's have a good chat, shall we? There we go. All done. Loads of people on. Oh, my brother and sister on. Tash, Zach, Sarah, good to see you guys. Bill, what is up, my friend? Debbie, how are we doing? Hope that we're all well. Um, here we go. So episode 44. The reason I do these is simple. It's because I'm nosy and I'm curious and I love to learn from other people. The reason I'm using this format is to make social media a place for good, to make it a place where we can connect with awesome like-minded people and that you can learn what I learned too so that all together we are always better than yesterday. I genuinely believe that um, that actually it's all about mindset. The way that we think will inform the way we act, which will inform the results we get. So it all starts with the way that we think and around mindset. And I interview inspiring people that have got this working for them that have helped them be better than yesterday. And if I can help understand what it is that they do up here to help them move themselves forward, then maybe we can all um, live and learn um, a little bit about that. So I'm just going to see if I can bring my guest on now. Here we go. Fingers crossed it goes without challenge. There we go. Just like that. What's up? How are you, my friend? I'm good. Amazing. Can you please do me the honour and the privilege of introducing your good self to um, the watchers, the listeners? Sure. Uh, My name is uh, Jeff Jackson. People call me Coach JJ, JJ Coach. I am the founder of uh, the nonprofit Depression to Extinction. You guys have probably seen a conversation with my co-founder, Luke Frazier, who's a big part of this community. Um, father of four, uh, a complete train wreck of a human and broken, but not, uh, disabled. And, um, just, you know, truly working every day to, uh, to try and, uh, and make the next day a little bit better for myself and for mm-hmm. others as well. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of me. Wow. What a, what a powerfully vulnerable introduction. I've just, um, Take us through that. Take us, um, take us through a little bit about your story and, and, and why you've used such powerful words. Um, I, I'm, I'm an addict, three years sober, May 1st. Um, I used alcohol and, and prescription medications were kind of my go-to. Um, I suffer from depressive disorder, social anxiety disorder, uh, to the point where I had panic attacks uh, several years ago that 
um, led me to almost dialing 911 because I thought I was having a heart attack. Um, uh, a lot of early childhood trauma um, mm-hmm. that I think led to, to a lot of, in fact, research shows more and more that the traumas we face as young, young children, young adults, follow us into our adult relationships. And, um, and they can have a huge impact on depression, anxiety, a, a lot of mental illness. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's a, a huge movement toward trauma-informed, trauma-informed care um, in, in therapy and, and just in other ways of being of service. So uh, I kind of look back at some of the things I went through. I mean, I dealt with big trauma, little trauma, attachment trauma, secondary trauma, um, and, uh, and it played out in my adult relationships. I was divorced twice, um, uh, almost divorced a third time, and about four years ago, um, it was four years ago this past November, I found myself in an apartment about to go through a third divorce. Um, and this, this idea of like my life wasn't worth living anymore. Um, and it, it, it happened so fast. It went from being drunk and, and, and feeling really, really just down to having a loaded gun in my hand like that. Um, so uh, this, this idea that, that suicide or, or self-harm is this premeditated long-standing plan is bullshit. It's not mm-hmm. true. It, it happens in a millisecond. Um, I luckily uh, put the gun down and, and had a moment of, no, my kids aren't better off without me. My wife isn't better off without me. The world isn't better off without me. And then it took several years of hard work to to come through and and realize that I did have something to offer. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. I appreciate that. And um, yeah, I can only imagine some of the the things you've had to go through. And, you know, what if you if you were to reflect on your journey, what have been some of the things like that have helped you along your way? You know, because that let's assume that that moment then was the low point, you know, what, what's helped you bring yourself back up? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was definitely at that stage of my life and, you know, fingers crossed, there's not anything worse, but that was rock bottom. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I reached out to a complete stranger, a friend, Mm -hmm. friend, (laughs) a person I knew uh, in that moment and they listened. And it was powerful. And, and um, I would go on to, to start a business with this person and, and sell that business to start my nonprofit. But um, that was like step one was just reaching out for help and, and just knowing that I wasn't alone mm. and that um, there really are people out there that care. Um, as I went through my journey and I started to identify, hey, I've got some addiction issues. I've got some trauma issues. Um, I used talk therapy, which was huge for me. I did start with CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's valuable, um, but trauma-informed was, was better for me. I ended up going to a facility called The Meadows in Wickenburg, Arizona, which is a kind of world-renowned rehab facility. And they don't focus so much on labels as much as, you know, what were the traumas that happened in your life? Mm-hmm kind of walk you through in a really safe and powerful way, re-experiencing those and letting some of that stuff go, meeting your inner child mm-hmm. and reminding your inner child, the big, the big kids here now. Yeah. So you're safe and you can go on and, 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 and know that, that I'm in charge now and mm-hmm. you don't have to take care of mom or dad or whoever it was in, in your life. Um, at, that was the point when I, when I realized I had uh, an addiction to alcohol, um, 
prescription medications. I didn't get into a 12-step program for almost another eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted to deny that piece for sure. I didn't want to admit that that if if I go back and look at my 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 life, like almost every major bad decision um, had alcohol attached to it. Mm. And so I did get into a 12-step program. Um, I was extremely overweight. Uh, I mean, you know, was making a tremendous amount of money doing well in my career, but was still not feeling whole. I wasn't feeling connected. I wasn't feeling connected to my spouse. I wasn't feeling connected to my, my community, uh, to my family. And so I, I saw, you know, I saw this book, The Ultra Marathoner by Dean Carnassus, and mm-hmm. I just got inspired. I, and I hate running. I'm not a runner. Well, I'm a runner now. But I, but I, I mean, like, I love that. I, I always say I love that I hate to run or I, I hate that I love to run. Yeah. I'm not sure yeah. which one it is for the first yeah. three miles. It's probably both. But I realized running could help me lose weight. And that was really why I started running. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my first run we, in our old house. We lived at the bottom of this hill. And it was this huge climb to get just to the main street and then out. And I, I went out and I bought the gear and I bought the, you know, the, the, everything. I, I look like, you know, I look like a, I look like somebody had, I was a poster board for like, you know, Under Armour and Nike <laughs> for the, the brand new runner. And I made it like a half mile. And, and I was just like, I mean, and I had been smoking at that point. I was 90 pounds overweight. Um, just coming to grips with some of this pain that I'd been dealing with, some of this mm-hmm. shame that's been sort of toxic in my, in my life. So I quit running. I'm like, I'm not going to run. I hate running. I'm never running again. So I went into strength training and I did some, some hit that, you know, hit treat, uh, uh, hit training. I came back to running eventually cause I got really skinny fat basically. And so I needed to add cardiovascular. And when I broke through that barrier, um, I had said in my mind, I was going to do 50, races before I turned 50. I don't care if they were 5Ks or 10K. I didn't care. That was my original goal. I've sort of changed that since then. But that was sort of like my thing. And so I was running races in Arkansas and Louisiana and Oklahoma. Um, and I was getting relatively good. I hired a coach. I, I, the, the weight was melting off, but the clarity in, mm-hmm. my, in my brain and, and using all that past pain and shame was fuel. It was just fuel. And, and I had a lot. So I had a lot to fuel. And there was just there was this turning point where I decided like, so you train for like a cycle, right? So so a training cycle can be three weeks, can be two months. So you train for a cycle and then you go do a race. Mm-hmm. And I started winning. I started podium, hitting the podium. But like all this training was like for a 22 minute race. And I was like, after the race is over, I'd go typically down to a river or something. I'd run for another hour or two. So I called my coach one day and I said, hey, coach, I'm going to switch things up. I want to move to an ultra marathon. He's like, whoa, that's a big transition right there. And I said, yeah, I said, he goes, 50, you know, 50 kilometers is big. I said, no, no, I want to do 100. And he goes, 100K is a huge step. We're going to have to do this. I said, no, I want to do 100 mile. I want to do the Hurt 100, which is the hardest race in the world, one of the hardest races in the world. And he was just like, okay, this is Mm – so I think he told me I had to go out and run like 30 miles over the weekend. And, and if I did that, he didn't care if I walked, crawled. He didn't care. He goes, if, if you do that, I'll train you. So I gave my wife a kiss. I just threw on my shoes. I had no like nutrition plan. I didn't know you had to have like a nutrition and hydration plan. And I ran for like, I think it was like 38 miles or whatever it was. It was like 10 o'clock at night, 1030. And I'm exhausted. I'm ruined. 
you know, I'm in my neighborhood and I call my coaches, hey, look, I, I almost mm-hmm. got to 40. I'm a few miles short. I'm starving. I'm going to go to Taco Bell and get some food. And he was like, I told you to run 30 miles over the weekend. So he took me serious and we trained for that race. That race wow. is in Hawaii. It's, it's one of the hardest races in the world. I ended up failing in that race miserably. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up uh, only at 110K, which is 67 miles. And it was probably one of it's, – it's so amazing to me that our failures can be some of the greatest opportunities for growth and, and, and success. Mm-hmm. And from that failure, I, I just learned so much about myself. And can now, you share some of those lessons? My, um, in your darkest moments, uh, in a race, in your darkest moments, they never compare to what you've dealt with in your life. I mean, I think a life's a lot like an ultramarathon in the sense that you're going to have lots of lows and lots of highs. And we always say embrace the suck because just around the corner mm. is something awesome. It's a sunrise. It's another runner saying, you got this. You know, mm. I mean, the ultra mm. community is unlike any physical activity community I've ever worked with. Um, they're just so inspiring and they lift each other up. And so there were some dark moments. There was a, a time I was coming out of Nuanu, So it's it's a... 20 mile loop and it's uh, 27,000 feet of climb over a hundred miles. You have to do the loop five times. I'm coming out of Nuan and we had a ballistic missile threat that they remember that ballistic missile threat in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So like an hour and a half into the race, we think Hawaii is about to get bombed. They're pulling us off the course. We're going into bomb shelters. It messed with our psyche for sure. And uh, mm-hmm. so everything was off by an hour. So I didn't have a headlamp ready when I left New Honor to come back into, into the main aid station uh, in loop two. So I was in this forest, like in the Hawaii, there's this pine forest. It's gorgeous. You got the, the beach there. You got these incredible rocks and cliffs and you got this pine forest and my light goes out, just dies. And I have an iPhone with me. And there was a moment there cause I hadn't seen a runner in 30 minutes. There was a moment there where I was like, I'm going to die in Hawaii. Not from a ballistic missile threat, but because I'm going to fall off the side of one of these because I can't see anything. I mean, it freaked me out. I mean, it really did. And then I just, I remember uh, Coach and I talked about this, and I, I, people who know me hear me say this all the time, relentless forward progress. Mm-hmm. And that was just a mantra for me to get to the next aid station. So I got the iPhone out, and it was just one step in front of the other. And it was brutally slow. I had no food, little water. Um, but I got to the aid station, got a fresh battery, got a pacer, and, you know, and again, there was the high coming down there, hearing people cheering and, and mm. um, yeah. So I think that that's a big part of, of the experience and, and what I took from that race. Um, when I came in in the loop three and I knew I, I was going to miss the time cutoffs. So during that first loop, I slipped and I, I tore my meniscus mm. and I sprained my MCL. So pretty much probably should have pulled out at that point. I ended up going another 47 miles wow. uh, on a bad knee. But uh, I remember coming in and, and uh, Coach Luke, our co-founder, um, he was pacing me for that next uh, series. I got to the aid station. And I never was in an aid station for more than five minutes. I mean, I was eating, changing, and out. And I got there and I sat down. And I'm like, I'm going to change my shoes. I'm, gonna, I'm, put on, I'm putting on stockings. I'm, and I stalled. And, stalled, and I was, my hope was in my brain that they were going to be like, just call it a race. You had a great race. You made it 60 miles. Don't worry about it. Nope. Luke got me up, got me on the road, and what normally that route to Manoa Falls would take me an hour and a half, two hours. Um, it took us about five and a half hours. Wow. 
And it was literally just one step in front of the other. And it was some of the most physically painful times of my life. Mm. And when I came through at Pirates and everyone was just cheering, like I had just won the Boston Marathon. There was no better feeling. My kids were there. My family was there. My coach was there. And I just broke into tears. Mm. And I remember, I remember Matt, um, big shout out to Matt, one of the age station guys, still, still keep in touch with him. He, he said, are you crying out of joy or, or sadness? I said, both. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was both. Wow, it's really powerful. So tell us, um, so, so Luke, Luke Frazier, who was on episode 12, um, tell us a little bit about, you know, you said, um, you started to realize that you had something to offer and you started to be able to help other people as well. Tell us when you had the idea for, for D2E and, when, and, and, and how did you bring that to life? <laughs> it's funny. So I sold my for-profit company. I was sitting uh, at spring break with my family and my wife was just realizing I didn't seem happy. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to sneeze. Bless you. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, Bless you. And uh, thank you. And I had been talking about like wanting to, to do a little bit of personal coaching. I'd kind of coached a few people with running and I, I, it was fascinating to me. It really was this interesting field of like, I don't necessarily want to go back and get my master's in therapy. And I think therapy is so valuable, but I think coaching is such a complement to what we can do for people for, for self-improvement. Right. And so I got my, my life coaching certification. I went through that training, completed that. And she and my wife's not a risk taker, right? And she said, go for it. Like, you know, sell out and, and go do this coaching thing. So I did. I, I literally stayed in Arizona for another week, kind of sat with it, meditated on it, ran, ran a bunch, called my, my partner at the time and said, hey, I'm, I'm selling out. I'm not going to just abandon you. We'll, we'll work it out. And we did work it out. Mm -hmm. And I started coaching. And I, I had reintroduced Luke. I've known him since he was in high school. And I, I was listening to an episode of the Y blog, his yeah. original blog. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know it was him. And I'd had seven or eight episodes under my belt. Wow. And all of a sudden, when I heard him say Luke Frazier at the end, I'm just like, wait a minute. Like, my Luke Frazier? Like, the guy I know? So uh, I reached wow. out to him at like 10 o'clock at night. And we talked for like two hours. And I, I said, hey, you know, I, th I think you're a coach. I, I think you're coaching already when you yeah. have these amazing conversations. Yeah. Needless to say, we started a coaching business. And, and about four months into it, and our goal was to take a percentage of our coaching and, and put it towards mental health, like an mm -hmm. organization focus for me, like on depression and anxiety. We couldn't really find an organization in the mental health field that was just a nonprofit that was just focused on like eliminating the stigma, bringing awareness. Um, and so the way DDE was found was uh, three adults, three men sitting around a fire at my, my lake house, uh, 40s, 30s, and 20s, were talking about our feelings. We were doing this thing we, we call the Be Real Check-In, something I d developed years ago to help cope with some of my own stress. And I remember a, a friend of ours, John Javert, was with us, and he, he looked at me, he looked at Luke, and he said, if you would have told me 10 years ago that three grown men yeah. We'll be sitting around a fire talking about how they're feeling. I would have said, you're crazy. Mm. And so he said, JJ, what's your absurd goal? Like, it doesn't have to be realistic. But if, if you could create an absurd goal, what would it be? And it just rolled off my tongue. I want to bring depression to extinction. And we just went with it and just sort of developed it. And I mean, I don't know how to run a nonprofit. I, at the time, I knew nothing, right? I, mm -hmm. I gave money to things I cared about. And so less than a month later, we filed for a 501c3. And three months later, got it. And... Away we went, closed down the for-profit coaching business and put all of our energy into 
depression to extinction. I love that. I love that. So three men sitting around talking about their feelings. It's, um, there's a revolution coming, 100%. And I think what you're doing with D2E is, is leading that, leading that conversation. You're making it, you know, I don't, I don't like making it, and sometimes I don't like making it about man, men, women, or, or anything. I think people, I think people need more mental health awareness and, and being able to help and support each other. But let's talk specifically about men. Why do you think it is difficult for, for men to have those conversations? You know, I think there's a, it's funny, we were just shouting about this right before the event this weekend. Um, I think at some level, there is a, a, a an innate instinct that men protect men and hunt, they, and, and they fight and they battle and, and women nurture and, and take care of family. And I'm sorry, but like, from what I know now, if we're talking about evolution, right, what I know now, there were probably some really badass women warriors that I would have rather had up on the front lines and had some of those guys that were amazing chefs and cooks and could gather and could, could sew. So, but I think at some level, there's a primal issue that we're dealing with. And, and then if you look at where we're at in society, say over the last 20 years, there's this idea. And I mean, I've heard a few of your guests talk are toxic masculinity, right? So mm. there's this idea mm. that we have to be, we have to be macho. We have to, we have to be buff. We have to be a badass. What if being a badass is sitting with someone you love in a, in a closet or on the floor next to your bed and just sitting with them in their shit, mm. not fixing, not judging, mm. not saying, well, if you just fill in the yeah. blank, but rather I see you, mm. I hear you. And here's the crazy part. It's empathy, right? So, and I, I wasn't really taught of, and my dad knows empathy, but I wasn't taught I always say I wasn't taught empathy. I never learned empathy. I think that's the better way to say it. There's no blame on parents or friends or loved ones. I just, I never learned it. Um, and there was a lot of peer pressure to be cool and to be macho and to be, yeah. you know, all these things. Enter social media over the last 10 years. Um, technology, I mean, these little things when you've got, you know, eight, nine, mm -hmm. 10, 11-year-olds that have mm -hmm. access to more information than I had my entire lifetime in school and college. Uh, it adds a whole new element of, of challenge. Um, so I think this, this idea of, of, for men, the struggle to talk about how they're feeling, I don't think we were taught to talk about how we're feeling. And, and I don't think men and women in general, I don't think there's been a lot of emphasis on this idea of what we call emotional awareness, this idea of being aware of what we're feeling. Like, yeah. I can tell you when I go through a check-in, if my anger is really high, by going through that process, I'm practicing mindfulness. I'm, I'm kind of putting myself in that present moment, but I'm acknowledging my anger. Like anger is not yours. You and I can have conflict, mm -hmm. but the anger I have from maybe something that you said that triggered me, mm -hmm. it's not yours. And so by doing this process, we've noticed that it, it helps minimize the projection of anger or fear or shame. Yeah. onto somebody else and then these correlations we're finding now and with you know shame is a big big it's a tough it's a tough emotion for for anyone to manage mm -hmm. let alone you know men or women yeah. and and for men i've noticed a trend that shame triggers anger shame triggers fear or shame triggers anger anger triggers fear fear triggers back to shame and it's this endless cycle we've got to break the cycle and we've got to start talking and trusting 
And so that be real part, the be respectful, mm. be empathetic, be authentic, and be loving to yourself and to one another, that's the space you create before you go into the process of, of emotional awareness or practicing emotional awareness. Love that. So let's, um, let's focus specifically on the be real check-in process. Tell us a little bit about um, how you can uh, go through the process and then let's let's signpost people to where they can uh, find out some more about it and potentially get involved in them in themselves yeah so the the process is is something i developed and it's it's kind of a hybrid of some things i learned at the meadows and acknowledging you know there they talk about where are you at in this moment with suicidal thoughts homicidal thoughts but those weren't emotions, those were actions, right? And then mm -hmm. the 12-step program, right? This idea of there are steps going through uh, a healing process. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of took a little bit of, of, of what I liked here. I'm not an inventor. I, I, I see myself more as an innovator. And so things I liked here and things I liked here and then things I've done, journaling and other things over, over my growth. Mm -hmm. And I created this kind of check-in process. And I wanted to keep it simple but powerful. And so it really, it, it works pretty simply. We've, over some trial and error, we've determined that there's kind of 10 core emotions that we all feel. Anger, fear, worry, pain, joy, passion, love, gratitude, and then shame and guilt. And, and emotions aren't good or bad. They're just emotions. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, a, they're a response to something that's significant happening in, in any given moment, right? Mm -hmm. And so, because I hear people say, oh, I hate, I hate the bad emotions. And I'm like, what emotions are those? They're just, they're just emotions. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting. You can't feel two emotions at the same time. Our, our brain doesn't work that way. Our brain only allows us to process fear or love or, or joy in any given moment. Um, so, so you take those, those emotions. And on a scale from 1 to 10, we've all learned this since we were like we, we high. You, you just you rate that emotion at that moment. You know, one, mm. not feeling it, and 10, really feeling it. And so you'll go through a process and say, hey, my anger is a, a oh, what is it? It's a six. And in that process, you have a, a chance to talk a little bit about maybe why it's a six, or you can mm -hmm. move on to the next one. Yep. And it's just, just these little opportunities to notice and to be aware of what's happening in that moment for you. For me, I, I tell people, try to try to do this process in your present moment. And everybody's present moment is different. I say, if you look at a watch or a calendar, what is your present moment? For me, it's 36 hours, enough time to, to run 100 miles. But for someone else, it might literally be in crisis. For me, it was minute by minute. When I was mm -hmm. dealing in, in addiction and making really bad decisions, it was, it was literally minute to minute at times. But it doesn't matter what it is. Try to find that. We always leave a little space in that process to talk about your story. We really believe that like your story, my story, everybody's story matters. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we, we, um, we, we always close with it with an affirmation statement, a positive affirmation statement. We yeah. encourage uh, like an I am statement. I am strong. I'm powerful. I'm worthy. Uh, Cause that again, that keeps us in the present moment. And that, that's how the process works. I love that. But, um, what's that process giving you? What does it give you when you do it? You know, we, we, we have, uh, we're communal by design. We're, we're tribal, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And so I, I really believe that it's helped me connect better with my emotions, with, with myself mm -hmm. and with others. Um, there's a, a big science, you know, Steve Tatkin wrote a book, Your Brain on Love, and some other books out there. But, but this particular book I used uh, when, when I've had struggles in my, in my relationships, not just with my 
my spouse primarily, but with others. And we have these things called primary attachment partners, our person, right? Mm-hmm. And and you you need to like we seek to have that kind of a relationship with someone. It doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. It doesn't matter. They're, they're your they're your person. They're your primary attachment partner. That's the person you should be able to tell anything to, open up to, and not feel judged or ridiculed. Mm. Well, if you've got shame or you've got all this anger, all this stuff, you know, kind of getting the wheels turning and, and blocking you mm. from seeing your person or or a, being able to allow them to see you, mm-hmm. well, then you're disconnected. And so there, I think for me, this tool has helped me with conflict management. If I'm in a yeah. conflict with mm-hmm. somebody, uh, we use it at, at DD all the time as a conflict resolution tool. Um, when I'm, when I'm feeling the shame or, or the, or the guilt or the, the fear kind of taking over the conversation in my head, mm-hmm. going through and, and, Oh yeah, there's a little joy there. And I think the thing that we don't do enough of, like, let's acknowledge and recognize that joy. Mm. Like I tell people all the time, the check-in process isn't when you're in the shit. <laughs> it is. And when, when you're great, if I were to check in today, I would tell you my joy is an eight. My passion's a 10. Yeah. You know, my, my love is a, a nine and love's a four letter word for me. It's a hard one for me to process. Um, and we have to, we, I don't have to, but I, I encourage us to check in when we're feeling amazing too. Mm. And you know, we want to change those neurotransmitters, right? And, and those mm. receptors are powerful. So the more we train, yeah. practice, uh, the, so the more cognitively available we are. I want to dive into your, why your passion is a 10. What have you been doing in the last 24 hours that's made your passion a 10? Well, right here, we did our first, uh, oh, there it is. We did Amazing. our first event. Um, yeah, I love you, Luke. Um, I just have to tell you how much I love Luke Frazier. To be able to work I with make- a person like me uh, who has a million ideas, not all of them good, some of them okay, uh, and to make them work, uh, that, that, that young man is incredible. I yeah, threw out a, an idea a few months ago. I said, hey, we should do a race. We should do a race around a men- mental health month and, and this idea of awareness and ending the stigma and, and we'll do this, and it'll be 24 hours, and we'll do people all over the world. And and I, like, eh, figure it out. <laughs> and I put it on his plate. <laughs> I, I helped. Don't get me, but, like, and he did. He just, we developed through our community and through participation. We wanted to create an annual event. It's a fundraising event, but, but it's a community event more than anything. Mm-hmm. We wanted to create an event where we could take a moment and just – do something really, really, really hard and really, really amazing and share mm-hmm. stories. Um, so we created uh, our first um, 24-hour challenge, Run, Walk, or Crawl. And there was a lot of crawling at uh, <laughs> probably for me about 3 p.m. yesterday afternoon. I was pretty beat up. Um, and the idea was to raise awareness around the stigma of mental health, mental illness. And... Um, we had 40, I think 49 people signed up, which, I mean, I do ultra events, right? So they're anywhere from 100 to 300 people maybe. And, and these are you know, worldwide events. We had people in, in you know, you, Bill, uh, you know, Bill Mitchell. I mean, come on. Uh, did you watch him at all yesterday? 
Yes, I did, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, that dude kept me alive through yeah. through some really sh- crummy moments. Yeah. Um, oh, God. inspiring, right? And Amy Velasco, right? She was, she was out there in L.A. by herself. Started at midnight. Ended at midnight. Um, these stories were just incredible. Mm. Um, and so our, our goal was to do this once a year. Eventually, we want to build it up to, to accumulatively – have enough miles to 24,907 9, 24, miles, which would be the circumference of the, of the universe, wow. which would represent this being a global issue. Cause this is a global issue. There's no, it doesn't matter where you're at in our country. We're, we're politically divided. We're socioeconomically divided and mental illness still creeps into every part mm-hmm. of our, our, our society. So it was awesome. Um, I had someone already hit me up this morning and say, Hey, is it always the first Saturday? So next Saturday, next year, it's going to be Cinco de Mayo. And then, anyway, it was just like, yeah, it is. And we're, and we're going to do another one. So it was, it was there incredible. Go. It was really incredible. How can, um, how can people connect with you? How can people um, connect with D2E? Where can they find you? Um, uh, Luke has done a great job. I'm on Instagram, personally, at Running With Forest. Um, of course, at D2E. Um, Depression, the number two extinction. We have both a Facebook page and we have a private community. Mm-hmm. We closely monitor that because people really become vulnerable in that space. And so we want to honor that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, our website, depression, the number two extinction.org. Um, you can go right on the front page and there's a check in button. You hit that check in button. It's available 24 um, 7. Go through the emotions, rate them on a scale from one to 10. Somebody from our community will respond back to you and affirm you within 24 hours. Those are wow. those are the easiest ways to reach us. Yeah, I think we're on Twitter too, but I don't know what our Twitter handle is. <laughs> I love that. Um, who should reach out? Who, who and why should, should they reach out? It's funny because I, I knew this question was coming, and, and my, my answer would have been until a few weeks ago. My answer would have been if you're really if you're really struggling you're feeling sad if you're feeling depressed if you're you're feeling like you may want to hurt yourself mm-hmm. yes um and i i'll end with a story so a close friend i've known since i was eight years old uh, called me at around eight thirty a few weeks ago and he said that uh, he had a loaded gun in his hand and he was saying goodbye mm. and i realized whoa this is way out of my pay scale. I'm, I'm not a suicide prevention specialist. Uh, he asked to do the check-in. He'd been following our community and kind of what I'd been doing, um, struggling with alcohol and drugs. And so as we went through that process throughout the evening and we talked and we talked and we talked, there was a point where I said, I, you, I heard him lock, lock the gun. Uh, and I said, I, I need to bring someone else in. Uh, this is, can I bring someone who knows what they're doing here to this conversation? We did. We got the police there. They got the weapon away from him. He eventually got into detox and into rehab. And, and so that was great. Wow. But then I needed support. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just for the people who are really struggling, um, but also the people that have someone they love or care about that is, that is battling mental mm-hmm. health or mental mm-hmm. illness or depression or anxiety, this community is incredibly powerful yeah. for the support of those people who are struggling as well. So it's, it's and, not or. Wow. I love that. That's a really, um, 
powerful story. Thank you for sharing that. And um, yeah, it's nice to think about that, that, that distinction, isn't it? Just being actually, you know, cause some people, um, you know, it's give and give and give and give. And sometimes we have to um, look after ourselves a little bit too. And yeah. um, I guess my last question is my, my ethos is all around helping uh, people be always better than yesterday. What does that phrase always better than yesterday mean to you? Um, I think for me, it means, uh, showing up for mm. myself, um, self care, because yeah. if I'm not the best version of myself today, mm. then I'll never be available for someone tomorrow. Mm. Um, I'm not great at self care. I'm really great at, uh, I'm an ADHD type of guy, right? So it's a superpower. Mm. <laughs> uh, we're great. We're great in triage. We're great in, in, in emergency situations. Um, but we also struggle at times, or at least from my experience, to to take that time to, yeah. to just do for ourselves. And so for me to always be better than yesterday, I, I think I need to really embrace this idea of self-care and to honor myself. Um, what I works think people for you? Who know, um, I, I, I check in a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, I do it with friends. Uh, I yeah. do find it to be more powerful with another human. Yeah. Um, and then I also know, hey, if I can't do this with another human at least there's an online version we have an app coming out journaling has been wickedly powerful for me and Mm -hmm. again a a man journaling uh and then just honestly movement and and is it to do structured journaling or just free thought free thought i will do something i've done and it's just it's a weird little thing i learned when i was in wickenburg is this idea of when i'm stuck if i'm Mm -hmm. I'm right-handed take the pen put it in your left hand and then just whatever comes to your brain, don't, don't worry about spelling. Don't, and it, it sort of unblocks you, especially wow. when you're dealing with a hard issue. So I, I encourage when you're blocked and you don't know what to write about or, you, or something you're trying to, to write about is tough, switch up the hand and, and just let it come out. Wow. Never heard that before. That's powerful. Um, movement and mindfulness. So obviously running, you talked a little bit about meditation. Is that something yeah, I think, that you... Yeah, I think... I think mindfulness is so much more. I think the, the check-in process is a form of mindfulness. Um, I think it's just taking a pause, taking mm-hmm. a pause and, and noticing. Maybe it's – so I'll, I'll practice mindfulness on a run. Coach always reminds me, like, yeah. when it becomes all about training, it's no fun. Take a look around. So when you're, when you're on a run and you see something, he goes, take a photo. Mm. Take a picture of something. I've taken pictures of caterpillars. I've taken pictures of <laughs> – of like a dead tree, but there's something about that tree that just got my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so I, I think, and, and it's not running. I don't care what it is. Run, swim, move, go for a walk, um, bicycle, uh, go play with your kids. Yeah, get out and move. I mean, it's the most studied, holistic approach to to lessening depressive symptoms and kind of reducing anxiety. I love that. I love that, guys, girls. If you've uh, not if you will have been inspired by this conversation. Show Coach JJ some love now. Just hammer <laughs> that red love heart button. Um, even better still, push our faces. Give Jeff a follow. Share this video with that one person you know that is going to benefit from reaching out to either Jeff personally or the D2E community. And here's some of the, um, the, the practical things that he shared in this video. Share it in the inbox with that one person in your network um, that is going to, that's going to value this. Um, Jeff, we should have had this conversation a long, long time ago, 
but I am glad that we've had it today. Honestly, you, you came into the We Are Always Better Than Yesterday community um, some time ago and um, you shared your why in the, in the Why Wednesday. And, you know, I was blown away by your story then. And, and again, just to hear some of your story again now, um, massive, massive uh, admiration for you and, and your your desire to be authentic and vulnerable. I think it's um, I think if you can do it, it allows other people to do that. So you, my friend, are a leader. Um, and yeah, I'd just like to invite you to leave us with a final thought from, from yourself. Yeah, people who follow me know. Um, I say this all the time and I, I try to live it as much as I can. We, we can't give from an empty cup. So uh, I've learned in my experience, uh, be gentle with yourself. As as I know, it, it really allows me to be gentle with others. And um, you're not alone. There is an entire community of humans, amazing humans in this community and at D2E that, that uh, will just listen. So mm. reach out. I love that. I'm literally writing everything you say down because I find you have – wonderful way with words my friend thank you so much for taking the time thanks for having me man i hope your legs are not too battered and bruised um i'm off for a three mile recovery run right now yeah they're sore but i I gotta get out there and move them a little bit i've got the oh last plug i've got an uh, an event i just wanted to let people know about so um for our nonprofit, i'm I'm running uh, this thing called the ultra 50 expedition Uh, i'll be attempting a guinness world record to run 50 ultra marathons in all 50 states in 50 consecutive days to, to raise awareness around the importance of emotional awareness and mental health that kicks off September 1st. That is absurd. It is. <laughs> it really is. Amazing. After, well, after last we, night. Then we will have you back on and we will hear much more about that journey and your preparation. And, and we would love to follow you around that story and give you as much support over here in the UK. I know you've massively inspired Bill Mitchell. You've brought him in amongst your community and he's doing great things over here too. So Yep, your your message is one worth spreading, my friend, and I'm glad that I can help you do that this evening. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. Take care. Thanks, everybody, for checking us out. Much love.